Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me. From the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition, self-isolating edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's part of what else has been going on. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Maybe you've been following on this program or elsewhere. Who knows? Uh, the saga of the tainted water of Fukushima. That's the water that is seeped in by the tons to the uh, disabled nuclear plants at Fukushima in Japan become irradiated in its own right and then um, been stored in tanks. You're welcome. While they try to figure out what to do with it. This week, the mayor of Fukushima who knew? Yes, they do have one. Called for the treated radioactive water. Still got tritium, our old friend tritium in it. 
to be dumped outside the prefecture. I guess that's like a county, something like that, or a parish. Quote, I want the water to be released into the ocean at a location that does not include Fukushima in its name, said Hiroshi Kohata. If it's released near the prefecture, it will certainly cause it to suffer harmful rumors, he said. (laughs) It will darken the name of Fukushima, I guess. Ask the people at Chernobyl how that works. Oh, we will in a minute. The treated water at the TEPCO plant after the triple meltdown still contains tritium. The water should be carried in a giant tanker and dumped in a place where it will cause as small an effect as possible, the mayor said. That would be Chernobyl. If this cannot be done, the water should be dumped near the Tokyo metropolitan area, he suggested. Quote, it makes sense to dispose of it at a place that has benefited from the power generation at the Fukushima plant, he said. Before the accident, the electricity produced at the plant was sent to and consumed in the Tokyo metropolitan area. Good neighbors make good fences. And speaking of Chernobyl, radio radiation levels near the Chernobyl reactor have spiked well above normal because two fires have roared through the irradiated forests around the facility. Ukrainian officials say everything's fine. Except for the friends of Rudy... No, there is no immediate threat to human life, supposedly, according to globalnews.com, despite elevated radiation readings around the blaze. The forest fires broke out a week ago near Volodymyrivka. Thank you. Volodymyrivka. Volodymyrivka in the Chernobyl exclusion zone, a vast stretch of land that has been quarantined. Hey, there's that word again. Since 1986, due to the heightened radiation levels caused by the uh, Chernobyl, Ukraine has dispatched more than 100 firefighters to battle the fires, which have scorched approximately 25 hectares. Yes, get your hectare conversion scale out. A forest around the nuclear plant. Radiation levels have soared approximately 16 times higher than normal. And that's Chernobyl normal. That's according to Yegor Fursov, head of Ukraine's State Ecological Inspection Service. He did write, There is bad news. Radiation is above normal in the fire center. This is only within the area of the fire outbreak, he said. He said, Ignorant citizens likely started the blazes by setting fire to grass in the area. Who had ever set fire to... Oh, the Chernobyl exclusion zone spans 2,600 square kilometers. That's 1,000 square miles of land that was blasted with nuclear radiation after the disaster in April 1986. It remains largely unpopulated as the zone, although approximately 200 stubborn individuals remain in the area despite orders to avoid it. Those wouldn't be the uh, ignorant citizens, would they? Fersov says such fires occur in the surrounding exclusion zone every year, but there is currently no radiation threat to citizens in Kiev, the capital of the country, which we're supposed to care about, like Tokyo. Clean, cheap, safe, too. Fiery to meter our friend the atom. And now... They sound like they really believe in it. Hormonal changes caused by 
motorboat noise, cause clownfish to hide, skip meals, and attack their neighbors, putting damselfish in distress. Working on the reefs around Morea in French Polynesia, an international team of scientists exposed 40 pairs of clownfish to recordings of natural reef sounds or motorboat nose noise for up to two days. Motorboat noise caused clownfish to hide in the protective tentacles of their host anemone, move less into open water to feed, and to be more aggressive towards domino damselfish that also reside in the anemone. Love thy anemone. The researchers found that the noise affected anemone fish were unable to respond appropriately to a second stressor, likely putting them at greater risk from threats such as predators and climate change. The study was published in the journal Environmental Pollution. Found noise-exposed fish had elevated levels of the stress hormone cortisol and the reproductive hormones testosterone, all right, big T, and another one, which correspond with observed behavioral changes. These measurable hormones offer a window into complex behaviors and could be used to develop new noise mitigation tools. Yeah, we're going to do that. Ask the um, manatees. Dateline Pullman, Washington. Canada links are losing ground in Washington state, even as federal officials are taking steps to remove the species threatened status under the Endangered Species Act. You guys are cool. A massive monitoring study led by Washington State University researchers has found links on only 20% of its potential habitat in the state, published in the Journal of Wildlife Measurement Management. Measure, then manage. The study covered more than 43,000 square miles in the northeast of the state. Camera traps detected links in only 29 out of 175 monitored areas. Well, they're camera shy, those links. The results paint an alarming picture, says EurekaAlert.com, not only for the persistence of lynx, but many other cold-adapted species. Oh, no, they're quoting Dan Thornton, an assistant professor in Washington State School of Environment. Lynx are good sentinel species for climate change, he said. They're specialized, have larger ranges, and need really cold, snowy environments. So you won't find me around. So as they go, he says, they're likely an early warning system for what's going to happen to other climate-sensitive species, unquote. In the last 24 years, large wildfires have ripped through northeastern parts of the state, destroying some lynx habitat and their favorite food, snowshoe hare. It's a kind of bunny, yeah. The lack of snow and cold are also a problem. Lynx, with their bigger paws, are specially adapted to hunt on snow, as well as the prey that live there. As the temperature rises, warmer adapted species like bobcat and cougar could bring competition into lynx territory. Well, I'd be a missing lynx if I knew that. A new scientific review published in Nature found that marine life has been rebounding in recent years thanks to conservation efforts, and the oceans could be fully restored by mid-century. Hey, this is of a piece with, if you're living in a big city and self-isolating in one right now, and you dare go outside every once in a while and notice how clean and lovely the air is, it bounces back right away as soon as we put away the cars. The oceans cover almost two-thirds of the Earth's surface, getting back to this story from Access.com. If for too long we've treated the waters as a dumping ground, the oceans are not in great shape. Coral reefs are bleaching. The uh, Great Barrier Reef has set a record this year for the amount of bleaching. 
Fish are being fished out. Microplastics are spoiling the water. Despite that ill treatment, the oceans are more resilient than we thought. Researchers found that the proportion of mean species, marine species threatened with extinction dropped from 18% at the beginning of this century to 11.4% last year, thanks in part to conservation efforts. The review authors reported oceans could be fully restored by the middle of the century by focusing on rebuilding marine habitats and fighting climate change. Saving the oceans would cost $10 billion, according to the study. Between 10 and 20, benefits could be 10 times that much. Eh, I don't know. And rare wildflowers and declining bee populations could start to recover during this lockdown because many British councils, city councils and county councils, are leaving roadside verges uncut. This is according to Europe's biggest conservation charity for wild plants. The respite for these mini meadows is likely to lead to an explosion of color in the countryside this summer, according to The Guardian, and to bring benefits to other pollinators, including butterflies, birds, and bats. We want bats? We want the bats back? It's not up to us. Unless we reclaim our dominion. And now, ladies and gentlemen, guess who's got first world problems? Bangladesh. Superbug. We can't sweep your butt beneath the rug. You're screwing up all kinds of drugs. News of superbugs, which, yes, have come to Bangladesh, according to SciDev.net, Science of the Total Environment website. High levels of antibiotic residues, other medicines, and chemicals present in Bangladesh's ponds, canals, lakes, rivers, and other surface waters are contributing to a spike in antibiotic resistance in the country, says a new study. Um, That resistance, such uh, resistance, results when uh, bacteria, fungi, viruses, and parasites mutate. When exposed to antimicrobial drugs that become ineffective in the prevention, treatment, and spread of infectious diseases, according to the World Health Organization. But what do they know? Factors that make low- and middle-income countries like Bangladesh vulnerable to increased emergence and spread of such resistance include poor regulation of antimicrobial drug use. Yeah, only poor... Countries have high volume of antimicrobials used in human medicine and agriculture, uh huh, and poor wastewater management, says the study. This was published in the Science of the Total Environment. The study found concentrations of ciprofloxacin, ciprofloxacin, we call it cipro for that very reason, and clarithromycin to be the highest other antibiotics found on the surface. Waters of rural and urban Bangladesh include amoxicillin. Clindamycin, lincomycin, linozolid, metronidazole, moxifloxacin, nalidixic acid, and sulfapyridine. That moxifloxin sounds like an antibiotic invented by Jerry Lewis. But it wasn't, quote, because these waters are key sources of consumption for animals, humans, and irrigation purposes which would be humans again, dumping of antibiotic residues has become a leading cause for enhanced multi-drug resistance in bacteria that cause diseases in humans, animals, and crops, says the lead study author. He's at State University of New York. 
Antibiotic residues are continuously released into the natural aquatic environment from hospital wastewater outlet pipes, not pups, and wastewater treatment plants. Non-antibiotic drugs and other micropollutants are adding to the resistance, according to the study. The antidepressant fluoxetine has been found to promote bacterial mutation, which leads to resistance of um, E. coli to antibiotics such as beta-lactams, amygdaloides, tetracycline, and chloramphenicol. Trump doesn't want you to take any of those. The assessment lead, led to the discovery that five agricultural fungicide compounds were prominently present in the water samples, showing their large-scale use to kill farm pests. The ubiquity of antifungal agents in urban and rural wastes is of grave worry, as it may be contributing to the alarming rise of multidrug-resistant fungal diseases like Candida auris, recently seen in humans throughout the world. I had an antifungal agent for a while. The, uh, he, uh, he, the author of the study, says that Bangladesh should build a system-wide health care strategy to promote sane and responsible use of antibiotics in humans, farm animals, and crops through evidence-based interventions and actions at the national and individual levels. Yeah, Bangladesh should do that. The rest of us, yeah, we're good. And now... How do you keep, how do you protect a smart house with a smart lock? The manufacturer that claimed its Bluetooth-connected fingerprint-reading smart lock was unbreakable, only to find it being opened in seconds by someone armed with nothing more than a screwdriver. That manufacturer has been slapped down by the Federal Trade Commission here in the good old U.S. of A. Taplock, that's the name of the company, did, quote, did not take reasonable measures to secure its locks or to take reasonable precautions or follow industry best practices for protecting consumers' personal information, said the FTC's complaint. In fact, it adds, Taplock did not have a security program prior to the discovery of the vulnerabilities, unquote. This is reported in the uh, British tech journal The Register. The back of the $100 metal smart lock could be twisted off with the suitable mount and unscrewed with a normal screwdriver to defeat it. The Canadian maker of it, which was funded through an Indiegogo campaign, had also failed to protect its online user accounts, did not encrypt the connection between its smartphone app and back-end, pardon me, servers, and introduced a security hole, pardon me, that allowed anyone nearby to sniff, pardon me, Bluetooth packets between the app and the lock and use that Info to unlock the device. The FTC accused the company of, quote, deceiving people by falsely claiming the lock was, quote, unbreakable and that having taken reasonable and not having taken reasonable steps to secure data. The business has settled with the FTC, agreeing to, quote, implement a comprehensive security program and obtain independent biannual assessments of the program. And by biennial, we'll mean we'll buy the assessments every two years. Under the usual FTC settlement terms, the manufacturer neither admits nor denies any of the allegations or any of the alligators. Uh, The conditions it has to follow, though, naming a specific employee to be in charge of the new security program, providing reports on any future security incidents, training all its employees once a year on data privacy, 
putting in place various technical measures to protect users' personal information, and running an annual review on its systems, including, and you really should pardon me, penetration testing. Info security experts had found that one security hole in Taplock's setup enabled them to bypass its account authentication process and gain full visibility of all user accounts, usernames, email addresses, profile photos, location history, and precise geolocation of smart locks. When faced with a deluge of criticism and bad press two years ago, TapLock did immediately try to fix things. Last year, it released a redesigned lock that it challenged people to hack. But then, just a week ago, the new lock was again bypassed with someone using, again, using nothing more than a strong magnet the FTC made it clear it'll be keeping an eye on Taplock. Come on, break it, I dare you! The um, FTC's Director of Consumer Protection reported that a Taplock had failed to even test its own security posts, said the regulator's Director of Consumer Protection. Quote, tech companies should remember the basics. When you promise security... You need to deliver security, unquote. And now quickly to the Olympics. Without even the thing, without even the thing. Barely two weeks ago, who, uh, when uh, Olympic officials decided to postpone the 2020 Games, they touted the Olympic flame as a light at the end of the tunnel, unquote. Now that light is dimmed, according to the Los Angeles Times, there's still a month-long state of emergency in Tokyo and six other prefectures because of a spike in COVID-19 cases is forcing the flame to be removed from public viewing. It was supposed to be on display throughout the month as a reminder of the summer games. Remember the games? Remember those games we were spending billions on? <laughs> now they're going to take place in late July 2021, says the LA Times, authoritatively, as if they know. Officials decided to showcase the flame in Fukushima. The Japanese Prime Minister Abe declared a state of emergency after the corona case spike. Residents have been asked to stay at home, of course, but the Olympic flame will remain in Japan through next year. Though you can't see it, you can rest assured somebody is coming by once a day to tend it. You okay, Flame? Okay. I'm inspired. Because even the Flame is a movement. And we need one every day.
This is an at-home edition of the show. Everybody's doing at-home edition. This has always been done at home, except for when I go into a radio session, but it, not, not anymore, not here. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, something that's been covered on this program all along, an area of life, uh, burst into the news this week. That's the hint. And uh, here's hint number two. He's not a general. Let me guess. Inspector General. That is correct. Oh, yeah. So, as I say, Inspector General have ascended to the uh, standard issue news this week, uh, starting with <laughs> President Trump has uh, removed the chairman of the federal panel that Congress created to oversee his administration's management of the $2 trillion stimulus package passed last month. 
believe uh, President Trump, <laughs> President Trump at one said at one point said, "I am the oversight. I am the chief. I am the king of big screen TVs." Glenn Fine, who had been the acting Pentagon Inspector General, he was informed this week he's been replaced by Sean O'Donnell, currently the Inspector General at the EPA. Well, another Inspector General. Fine is a career official who had served as acting Pentagon Inspector General for four years and three months. Before that, he was Inspector General at the Justice Department for 11 years. So he's kind of a career Inspector General. The move was criticized by some as another instance of the president chafing at independent oversight. Um, A few days earlier, he notified Congress he was removing Michael Atkinson as the Inspector General of the intelligence community. If you recognize Atkinson's name at all, it's because he was the person who alerted lawmakers to the existence of a whistleblower complaint about the president's dealings with Ukraine. You know where that led. Quote, Mr. Fine is no longer on the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee, said a Defense Department spokeswoman. He will continue, however, to serve in his current position of principal deputy inspector general at the Pentagon. He had, until now, held both the acting and deputy positions because he's no longer acting inspector general. He can't hold the spending watchdog role. Why the acting with uh, the inspectors general and so many other officials in the government? Let the president explain. I like the word acting. I think acting is great. As far as I'm concerned, uh, acting to me is good. And if I like the people, I make them permanent. I I have acting. And acting gives you great flexibility that you don't have with permanent. So I'm okay with the word acting. But when I like people, I make them permanent. But I can leave acting for a long period of time. And now we're seeing exactly what he means by flexibility. Meantime, also in the Inspector General thing, hospitals across the country are facing dire shortages of vital medical equipment amid the coronavirus outbreak, including outbreak, including testing kits and thermometers, and they fear they can't ensure the safety of healthcare workers needed to treat patients with COVID. Those were the conclusions of an internal government watchdog report released this week based on interviews conducted the last week of March. Now that is sometime, another moment in time. That was the first government assessment of how the country's hospitals were coping with the outbreak. They confirmed previous media reports and warnings from health workers that the medical system is under unprecedented strain. And uh, anecdotal evidence from nurses and doctors who are talking to uh, TV news when they feel they're not going to get fired for doing it. That was a uh, an Inspector General's report. Gainsaid by President Trump the day after it was released, who said hospital administrators, speaking to his administration, are thrilled about their situation. The Inspector General's report said conflicting guidance from federal, state, and local governments has led to a greater sense of confusion, fear, and distrust among staff that they could rely on hospital procedures to protect them. This is the Inspector General for the Department of Health and Human Services. Really, trifurcated government uh, is confusing, is it? According to the report, one hospital received two shipments from FEMA with protective gear that had expired in 2010. It's still good till 
the, 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 it says don't sell, by, but that's the sell by. That's not that another hospital system received a thousand masks from feds and state governments, even though it expected a much larger delivery. 500 of the masks were for children and therefore unusable for adult staff. Elastic on N95 masks from one state government reserve had dry rotted and could not be used. Hey, count your blessings. It could have been wet rotted. See what I'm saying? The inspector general in the news, ladies and gentlemen, as is, of course, um, the probably longest serving federal government official in the field of epidemiology and immunology, Anthony Fauci. Uh, at the, he's presented most of the daily, now daily presidential news conferences about uh, coronavirus and the response. Uh, reporters always raise a question when he's not there, and the president makes fun of them for doing so. Ah, you, may, you criticize me when he's here, you criticize me when he's not here. And uh, the president is careful now to refer to him in public as Tony, Tony Fauci. The news from inside the White House is that there are continuing tensions between those like Dr. Fauci and Dr. Deborah Burks, B-I-R-X, the X stands for extra X, who um, are the people most publicly responsible for briefing the president on the data behind the current or growing out of the current situation day to day, and other advisors, both informal and official, including uh, some of the president's late night telephone friends, who are stirring in him a continuing desire to get this thing over with, get the economy back in action. And uh, as far as we know, that battle continues. This week, for the first time, the pandemic may be everywhere. And for the businessman turned chief executive, it's time to get his teams on the same wavelength. His Mike. Yes, sir, Mr. President. Your able and eager vice president reporting. Jeez, for- I thought I was a blabbermouth. Mike, <laughs> you're doing an incredible job. Thank you, sir. People I can't even talk to. I spit up in mid-sentence. You handle like you some kind of wellness counselor or priest or something. Well, sir, I, I do try to see the best in everyone, especially, of course, you. That's good, because I got plenty of best. <laughs> can't say the same for some of the people on our teams. Well, sir, as I found in my careers as uh, Indiana governor and radio talk show host, not everyone is working at uh, peak level all of the time. That's funny. What I found in my career doing whatever, is that they better be or they get bounced out on 53rd Street without a paddle. I'm not sure I understand uh, why they'd need a paddle on 53rd Street. Because it's flooded, okay? Seriously, it's just a tourniquet of speech, I can tell you that. So, Mike, you know me. I see people like Tony. I'm nice, right? Like I'm almost too nice? Well, sir, I have said to co-workers numberless times that uh, your niceness level is almost perfectly calibrated. Great. We can find out what's with the almost later. But you've got a big task this week, as usual. I'm getting a lot of calls. Every day I get calls from my friends in the energy industry, the airline industry, the, uh, the, uh... Mm, The hotel industry, for gosh sakes. Maybe. 
at Afghanistan Junior. Mm. All these calls, they're coming in, they're saying, we got to start back up again. If we don't do it now, maybe we don't get the full rocket ship thing, right? Well, sure, I'm, I'm getting some of those same calls. Many of them uh, forwarded from your office. Yeah, like I don't have more important things to do than hear from the pork truckers. I mean, I love them, Sure, but... sure. I have to say it. It amazes me how much you do have on your plate. And yet, I don't do the obvious thing and just go get another plate. <laughs> anyway, what do I have to tell all these guys who are calling? Dr. Fauci won't let me? Dr. Burks won't let me? How do you think that makes me sound? Well, unless I miss my guess, it makes you sound like the thoughtful, responsible decision maker you are, sir. That was the guy I played on TV. Mm. If you ask the guy I play in real life, it makes me sound weak. You know me well enough by now, Mike, to know I don't do weak. Well, when I look at you, sir, I see a mountain of strength, a pillar. Oh, of... enough with the pillar. Mm. So I need you to get Fauci to quit. Once he's gone, boom, we open this sucker up like Hoover Dam on Christmas. It's an excellent idea, sir, but uh, doesn't that still leave the problem of Dr. Burks? Ah, the scarf lady will do whatever he does. Well, Mr. President, there's not an idea that you have that I don't think should be engraved on Mount Rushmore immediately. But if I may, Dr. Fauci has withstood a lot of political pushback in his time. I'm afraid this might be something only you can accomplish. Mike, you might be right. A lot of things I do, other people just can't cut it. Mm -hmm. So here's your task for this week. Be in the room with me and Dr. Fauci. No place I'd rather be, sir. What? You changed the drapes in here? <laughs> Tony. Tony. You know the last guy I knew named Tony? No, sir. His name Big Tony. Did consulting for the uh, concrete workers. Incredible guy. Incredible guy. Thanks, Tony. So are you. Uh, thanks, Mr. President. I wasn't Tony, Tony, I, I want to second the President's appreciation, which he hasn't yet expressed in this meeting. For your years and years of service to your country, we will be forever in your debt. Thank you, sir. Uh, Mr. President, we have new data showing there are still major metropolitan areas where the curve is not yet flattening. Tony, can I tell you something? No. Huh? Last time I heard this much talk about curves, I was backstage at Miss Universe. <laughs> you ever done that, Tony? Have to confess that I haven't, sir. If I did, I'm sure my wife would leave me. You know, speaking of leaving, Tony. Yes, sir. Mike has something he wanted to tell you about the... Uh, your task this week. Okay. I should say, Mr. President and Mr. Vice President, mm -hmm. I've been doing this job in government for a long time, contending with a lot of political cross-currents. I'm still here. Who knows? Maybe on the side I'm doing some epidemiological consulting for the concrete workers. Well, Tony, the President and I just want you to do this week what you've been doing all along. and Keep us informed with the most up-to-date data you can to Help us help protect all Americans from this invisible threat. I think I speak for the president when I say... Well, Mr. President, you're right here. Is he speaking for you? In a very important way, yes. Yes, he is. Absolutely. Doing a terrific job of it. Thanks. But, Tony, I think you know this by now. We're a team here, all of us. We all got to play the same game. Those of us who want to jumpstart the economy can't be playing football, and those of you who are still worrying can't be playing, I don't know, Mike? Women's beach volleyball? Nice. Fellas, I spent 30 years in the federal government following the data 
and letting the chips fall where they may. I see no reason to stop now. You want to come into the office one day and Dr. Burks isn't here? Last time I saw so many scarves, the Hermes store was stiffing me on the rent at Trump Tower. You know what I told them? They could go sell one-tenth as many scarves at Jared Kushner's stupid building down Fifth Avenue. You ever see it, Tony? Pathetic. Looks like a garbage can with pimples lying on its side. Although Mr. Kushner is making an incredible contribution to the task force, that's a remarkable companion to uh, our own task force. Guys, I'm not going anywhere. Unless that is... I'm pushed. <laughs> Don't look at me, Tony. I haven't pushed anyone since I cleaned the gaze out of my governor's office. Much different times, of course. Tony, have you ever known me to bring someone incredibly important like you into my office just to fire them? No, sir. I surmise that's why the vice president was here. I do think, in all fairness, that uh, Dr. Burks could vary her wardrobe choices just a little bit. Okay, Tony. We're friends, right? I guess. See, a task this week is like Mike said before about the data and the thing. And just one thing more. Yes, sir? Before our next press conference, try sucking on a couple dozen lozenges, okay? Speaking for myself, Tony, I think that's pretty darn good advice. Great, gentlemen. Dr. Burke sends her regards. New team, new tasks, same mission. We're going to make economic recovery like no one's ever seen before great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. The Presidentus. This week, you're staying home anyway. Might as well watch. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the mysteriously award-winning News of the Warm. Won't you? This is the uh, story I uh, mentioned briefly earlier in the broadcast. Australia's Great Barrier Reef has suffered its most widespread coral bleaching on record. No, it's not a name of a influencer, coral bleaching. Scientists said Tuesday it, uh, it is a dire warning about the threat posed by climate change to the world's largest living organism. That is not Rush Limbaugh. James Cook University professor Terry Hughes said a comprehensive survey last month found record sea temperatures had caused the third mass bleaching of the 1,400-mile reef system in just five years. That's three out of five. Bleaching occurs when healthy corals become stressed by changes in open temperature, ocean temperatures, causing them to expel algae living in their tissues, which drains them of their vibrant colors. We surveyed 1,036 reefs from the air during the last two weeks in March, to measure the extent and severity of coral bleaching through the Barrier Reef region, said Hughes. For the first time, severe bleaching has struck all three regions of the reef, northern, central, and large portions of the southern sectors. February brought the highest monthly sea temperatures at the reef since Australia began keeping records in 1900. What took them so long? The reef is worth an estimated $4 billion a year in tourism revenue, if you like to think of things that way but it is at risk of losing its coveted world heritage status because warmer oceans brought about by climate change damage its health. After two back-to-back -back bleaching events a couple of years ago, 
The government agency overseeing the reef downgraded its long-term outlook to, quote, very poor. Bleaching was first seen on the reef in 1998. At the time, that was the hottest year on record. As temperature uh, temperature records continue to tumble, its frequency, uh, frequency of bleaching, that is, has increased, giving coral less time to recover. She's still not an influencer. And the polar ice caps are melting six times faster than in the 1990s, according to the most complete analysis to date. The ice loss from Greenland and Antarctica is tracking the worst-case climate warming scenario set up by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, scientists say, without rapid cuts to carbon emissions. Hey, we're doing it now. The analysis indicates there could be a rise in sea levels that would leave 400 million people exposed to coastal flooding every year by the end of the century. Rising sea levels, one of the most damaging long-term impacts of the climate crisis. The contribution, thank you for your contribution, Greenland and Antarctica, it's accelerating, according to The Guardian. The new analysis updates and combines recent studies of the ice masses and predicts that by that uh, by now, 2019 will prove to have been a record-breaking year after processing of the data. Previous peak year for the two, Greenland and Antarctica, ice melting was 2010, after a natural climate cycle led to a run of very hot summers. But the Arctic heat wave of last year means it is nearly certain that more ice was lost last year. Every centimeter of sea level rise leads to coastal flooding and coastal erosion disrupting people's lives around the planet, said Professor Andrew Shepard of the University of Leeds. Leeds! He said the extra 17 centimeters would mean the number of exposed to coastal flooding each year rising from 360 million to 400 million. These are not unlikely events with small impacts, he said. They are already underway and will be devastating for coastal communities. Eric Ivins of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory over there in Pasadena led the assessment, said the lost ice was a clear sign of global heating. The satellite measurements provide prima facie, rather irrefutable evidence, he said. Almost all the ice lost from Antarctica and half of that from Greenland arose from warming oceans melting the glaciers that flow from the ice caps, causing glacial flow to speed up dumping more icebergs into the ocean. The remainder of Greenland's ice losses are caused by hotter air temperatures that melt the surface of the ice sheet. The least comfortable sheet you can use. News of the Warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast bringing us now quickly to the Apologies of the Week. Well, you probably know that British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, Bojo, as he's known over there, uh, has been in intensive care, uh, care much of this week. Uh, but the uh, coronavirus crisis goes on in England, as it does all over the world. And uh, much as in the United States, in that report I just shared with you in the inv- Inspector General's uh, section, there is criticism in the UK of the supply of personal protective equipment for doctors and hospitals. And this was the response late in the week of the British Home Secretary, 
Priti, P-R-I-T-I, Priti Patel. I'm sorry if people feel that there have been failings. I'll be very, very clear about that. But at the same time, we are in an, un, in an unprecedented global health pandemic right now. It is inevitable that the demand and the pressures on PPE and the demand for PPE are going to be exponential. They're going to be incredibly high. And of course, we are trying to address that as a government. Of course. It, it started out as an apology and then it led to stronger stuff. Dateline Alton, Illinois. Shannon Walker, the wife of the mayor, this week made a tearful apology for her violation Sunday of Illinois stay-at-home coronavirus order. There's going to be a bunch of these coming along. She was among those cited at Hiram's Tavern in Alton for violating the governor's order. In a statement, she... um, expressed her, quote, most sincere and humble apology for my poor judgment this past week. I hope others will learn from my mistake and that everyone will do their part to flatten the curve of this highly contagious virus, she said. She added, I take the threat very serious. It is through no one else's actions but my own that resulted in embarrassment for our great city. Unquote. And the death of certain adverbs. Alton police last week said they'd received several citizen complaints alleging Hiram's Tavern was continuing to operate on weekends despite the governor's executive order. Several people were located inside the tavern at 1 a.m. last Sunday morning, clearly disregarding the executive order and public pleas for compliance, according to the police. Misdemeanor charge was signed against every person gathering at the bar, including the mayor's wife. He told the police chief, did the mayor, don't give his wife any special treatment. Mayor's wife now says she's self-quarantining for the sake of our community and my safety. She declined to say where she'll be uh, self-isolating. Quote, due to the abundance of hate mail and death threats I've received. 17-year-old TikToker Nessa Barrett. Do we all understand that sentence so far? has recently come under fire for posting a video on TikTok in which she and a friend danced to an audio of a man singing a verse from the Koran. Barrett has since issued an apology for the video, which she deleted. Many are dissatisfied and continue to flood the comments of her videos with criticism. In her latest TikTok video, Barrett, who has over 6 million followers, turned off the comments. She explained the situation on TikTok saying that she and her friend had been brainstorming video ideas while she was scrolling her For You page. After coming across a video of a man singing, Barrett thought it would be funny to make a TikTok video dancing to the sound, not realizing he was singing a verse of the Koran. Barrett apologized, saying, My step-siblings, like my stepmom, is from Egypt and all that stuff, so I know that it could have been taken offensively. I just want to apologize for anyone who took it that way when was offended. I think I'm sorry to anyone that practices that religion, unquote. Six million of them. Moments after airing clips of Senator Bernie Sanders' national address announcing his dropping out of the presidential race, CNN John King... CNN's John King falsely accused the senator of not saying anything nice, nice about the former vice president. King later apologized. Sanders said, quote, I congratulate Joe Biden, a very decent man who I will work with to move our progressive ideas forward. Three minutes after airing that clip on Inside Politics, King, the show's anchor, said what struck me the most there is Senator Sanders in saying goodbye. Did acknowledge that Joe Biden had an insurmountable lead, but he didn't say anything nice about Joe Biden. He did not say he'd spoken to him. 
He said nicer things about Joe Biden back during some of the debates than he did in saying goodbye, unquote, John King. He later addressed the moment on Twitter, writing, quote, harpoons deserved and accepted, and my apologies to Senator Sanders. We had some technical issues. I did not hear the I will work with clip. The error was mine, and the blame lies with me, not anyone else in the conversation, unquote. And a lot now uh, I've been I think this will be the third consecutive week we've discussed security problems on the ultra popular streaming convening service Zoom. Here's this week's a live YouTube stream this week. Zoom CEO Eric Yuan apologized to users for a string of security lapses that have rocked rocked the app in recent weeks. Speaking to viewers for more than two hours, Yuan touted the company's recent privacy updates and pledged to take any lapses seriously. Quote, clearly we have a lot of work to do to ensure the security of all these new customer use cases. But what I can promise you is that we take these issues very, very seriously. We're looking into each and every one of them. If we find an issue, we'll acknowledge it and we'll fix it. Unquote. The CEO of Zoom. That comes on the heels of similar interviews with CNN and Wall Street Journal as Zoom scrambles to adapt to its new consumer audience. Zoom has also instituted a 90-day freeze on planned new features, allowing staff to work solely on addressing concerns with its current product. Earlier this week, the company rolled out a series of changes intended to prevent Zoom bombing and other harassment on the service. He also addressed a Citizen Lab report published last week, showing encryption keys being processed through a server in China, even when all the meeting participants were not in China. The mere possibility of such communication could open the door for bad actors, making it a significant vulnerability for the service. To be clear, this should never have happened, Juan said, and the issue is completely addressed. He's also bringing in help to manage its new security and privacy challenges, the former Facebook security chief, Alex Stamos, will be collaborating with the company. Yes, when you have a security problem, bring in the guy who did it for Facebook. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my advice to you. Deadline Charleston, West Virginia, a lottery official in West Virginia acknowledged Wednesday the decision to launch wagering on the 2020 presidential election was a mistake. Lottery director John Myers said the governor was not informed of the decision to allow fan duel sportsbook to accept wagers before the move was made. I didn't inform the governor about it. I thought it would be okay, but after a review, it was clearly a mistake. We just screwed up. I didn't have the authority to do it. It should never have happened, and I apologize to everyone. Here's another one of these. Police have issued a warning to Scotland's chief medical officer for visiting her second home in Fife during the lockdown. Dr. Catherine Calderwood has been heavily criticized after pictures of her family trip were published in the Scottish Scottish son. She apologized unreservedly and said she would continue to focus on the job. She has been among those urging the public to stay at home to save lives and protect the National Health Service. The man in charge of Florida's broken unemployment website apologized this week for the fiasco, said the department is reverting to paper applications for people seeking relief. Apparently the computers crashed. From my heart, I apologize for what you're going through, said Executive Director of the Economic Opportunity Department, Ken Lawson, during a morning meeting on Zoom. (laughs) The apologies of the week eat their own tail. New Zealand's health minister has apologized to the prime minister after he was photographed 
mountain biking, apparently flouting the government's own advice to exercise safely and locally during the countrywide lockdown. I spoke to the health minister last night who apologized to me, said the prime minister. And a Minnesota House Democratic leader apologized Tuesday after a video showed him making an obscene gesture, giving the finger to a Republican lawmaker who was announcing a tentative deal on affordable insulin at the state capitol. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. Back next week at the same time on these radio stations. Radio. And whenever you want it, it's your other audio device of choice. Hey, Alexa. Are you alone? And it would be just like Alexa being alone if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show. Chapeau. To the San Diego desk, to, Tom, to Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with this very broadcast slash podcast. The email address for this program, a chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, and the playlist of the music heard here on. All yours for just a click to harryshearer.com. One more click and you find me at Twitter on the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.